Welcome to our Business of Impact podcast. I'm Bill Novelli, the founder of our Business for Impact Center at Georgetown University's McDonough School of Business. We believe that business can be a powerful force for good. Our mission is to unleash the power of business to help people prosper and the planet thrive. The social, economic, and environmental problems facing our rapidly changing world are complex. From climate change and social inequity to health disparities and poverty. We believe that business, working with civil society and government, can help solve these challenges. Companies are increasingly balancing the needs of all stakeholders, including shareholders, communities, customers, employees, suppliers, and society as a whole. Our podcast will take you behind the scenes to hear from business executives, nonprofit luminaries, student leaders, and other innovators, all working to make a real and sustainable difference. Today, we're speaking with Surya Kalori, who is the Managing Director, Retirement Research and Insights at Bank of America, and Jan de Cervens, who is the Director of Business for Impact's Aging Well Hub and a former executive at Transamerica. And we're here to discuss a national survey on attitudes among 18 to 39 year olds concerning work and finances. The survey is called Gen Z and Millennials, the pandemic perfect storm. Now, how did these two segments of young Americans respond to a time of coping with COVID-19 from a financial health and social perspective? This study was first conducted in 2020 and then a follow-up survey was done a year later in 2021. Uh, Jan, let's start with you. Um, describe the survey research for us and uh, tell us why the Aging Well Hub would actually tackle Gen Z and millennials. I mean, that's what, those are hardly groups we think of in terms of aging. Sure. Well, let me start with the why, Bill. Um, and thank you for, for this opportunity to talk about our survey. When you ask about you know, the why, Aging Well Hub is focused on helping people of all generations age well, and aging starts from birth. So an action we take early in life, including behaviors and habits and decisions we make impact our future selves. This survey is a national survey. It was fielded in October 21 by Edge Research, and we really focused on the working age Gen Z through millennials, so ages 22 to 40, and across all gender, racial, and ethnic lines, as well as education and income levels. And as you mentioned, it follows a survey conducted one year earlier, that which pandemic's perfect storm examining COVID-19's impact on Gen Z and millennials. And in the survey that we just conducted, we wanted to see if there were any change in attitudes of these young adults regarding work and whether millennials had made any progress on their goals that were reported in the 2020 survey. Okay, and Surya, uh, Bank of America is interested in this. Uh, you helped to fund it and you helped to analyze the data. Where does Bank of America fit in? And uh, what is your role in all this? Bill, uh, thank you for having us on. It's a pleasure to have this conversation with you and Jean. And equally importantly, we're very proud of Bank of America to partner with the Aging Well Hub at Georgetown University to conduct this research. I am part of the retirement business at Bank of America, Bill. 
And uh, I am part of the team that uh, does retirement research and derives insights from this research. And I think about how we interact with clients and our customers, uh, we have a life course approach. And so when one thinks about a life course, one can break it up into life stages. Young adults, parents, maybe some of us are in the caregiving life stage. We've also looked at tough life stages like when somebody becomes single, perhaps through a widowhood, perhaps through a divorce. And then, you know, planning for retirement, being retired, and also legacy planning. So if you think about this, you know, the, the world, the pandemic notwithstanding, moving towards these 100-year lives, we think thinking about this longevity and aging well should begin at the beginning, all the way from the beginning of the life course. And so we want to explore each of these life stages in depth. And we are very glad to partner with you and with Jean and with the Aging Well Hub to do this research, you know, this is the second time we've done it with lots of interesting insight. That's, that's very interesting. So um, planning for retirement is a lifetime journey. Indeed. Um, and you're looking for insights all along the way. So what, in this research, what was the biggest surprise for you? Uh, a, couple of, a couple of dimensions. Well, one that, that was not a surprise was, you know, the financial wellness took a hit and continues to take a hit. But what was surprising was, the young adults did take positive action. And we should, uh, we should explore that as we continue to have this conversation. So, so that was one surprise. The second surprise, which was kind of on the negative side, was the young adults uh, expressed the state of affairs of living paycheck to paycheck. And, uh, and John and I would love to dive into the aspects of that as well. And the other one, from a working population perspective, Bill, is you know during the pandemic, all of us have gotten used to being at home, working out of home, and perhaps even being productive working out of home. But kind of a surprise that came out of the survey, uh, at least from my perspective, was the young adults expressed an interest in going back to work now that we are you know finding our way out of the pandemic, but but on flexible terms. So, so that was all, those are interesting threads I think we should explore in our conversation today. Yeah, those are very interesting. Um, this idea of living paycheck to paycheck um, is, is certainly a sobering uh, idea. Now, was there, was there any difference in the 2020 survey versus the 2021 survey? I mean, they, uh, were, they were under the cloud of COVID uh, both years, right? Indeed, indeed. So if I were to, if I were to ask us to imagine the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau's definition of financial wellness. And I'll ask our listeners to imagine a, a matrix on the, on the horizontal axis is the time dimension, present and future. And on the vertical axis would be the dimensions of financial security and also freedom of choice. So that gives us four options. And, uh, and we looked at together, both our organizations in the survey, looked at how the young adults reacted in all those four areas, present, future, financial security, freedom of choice. And unfortunately, Bill, in all those dimensions, the financial wellness slipped for the young adults. So whether it was I'm living paycheck to paycheck, or whether it's my, financial, my finances control my life, 
because of my money situation, I feel like I will never have the things I want to do on a freedom and flexibility basis. Ability to handle, and I think this is important, uh, ability to handle an unexpected major expense. These kinds of things uh, have all slept. You know, I'm not a young adult, but I can tell you uh, two weeks ago, and Jean knows this, two weeks ago, I had a plumbing incident in my basement. And guess what? That was emergency expense. And if one is not in a situation to be able to handle it, that impacts financial wellness. So, so that would be my answer, uh, Bill, in terms of looking at the first study and the refresh, that there's been a slippage in the aspects of financial wellness. That's, that's not a promising picture. Um, uh, and you both see uh, saving for retirement, financial security, um, as Surya said, a lifetime journey. Jen, um, were there any bright spots among the millennials and the Gen Zers in these studies? Yes, I'm really excited about what we've seen in terms of improvement in credit scores. Um, improved credit scores can provide millennials with lots of benefits, such as lower interest rates. And many times employers check credit scores in deciding whether to hire an applicant. But just as important as the benefit of having a low credit score are the actions that are required to lift those scores. Paying bills on time, lowering credit utilization, and not opening new accounts. These are all behaviors that, if continued, millennials can be better stewards of their finances. Well, I'm glad there's some positive sides to this. But um, it wasn't just COVID that was weighing down on these, on these young people, right? I mean, why, uh, I'll ask you both, why do you think that the millennials are still struggling like this? Oh, why don't I start out, Surya, and then you can, you can chime in. The survey was not an open-ended survey, so we could not actually ask the why, but we can make some reasonable assumptions from what we do know. And so I'll just name it, start off with a few. First, older millennials especially came into the workforce during or slightly following the financial crisis, and they may never fully caught up. So any disruption like the pandemic will put them further behind. Second, steps that millennials have taken to improve their credit scores, you mentioned, creating a budget, paying down debt, leaves them with less to spend on discretionary items. So their, their paycheck actually may not seem um, as you know, robust as it had before. Third, many of the millennials who lost their jobs during the pandemic have not returned to the workforce and, or they've not returned at the same levels as before, either by choice or not. Others have taken up gig work, which usually pays less and leads to uneven compensation. And um, and then finally, just another um, idea that you know we had looking at this is the survey, just remember the survey was conducted last fall when pandemic restrictions were just being lifted, starting to be lifted before Omicron had come in. So we know that a lot of the millennials had, had re moved, given up their expensive inner city apartments and returned to live back with mom and dad. So many of these millennials may have been returning to their um, their own apartments, and so then they had rent to factor in. And John, those those are all excellent points. Uh, so, Bill, uh, let me add one point to this, and I'll do that by pulling a thread from another study that we had done as well. Remember, I was talking about the life course, 
uh, and life stages. And one of the other studies we had done, Bill, was around parenting. And uh, what we learned in the parenting study is that parents spend twice as much on their adult children, the demographic we're talking about in this study, as they would save for their own personal retirement. And that's worth repeating. Parents spend twice as much on their young adult children as, as they would save for their own retirement. Now, I have a young adult child and I do the same thing. And so, and I, I would do the same thing even knowing that fact, but the point is, we need to understand our puzzle pieces across these different life stages and say, what is it trading off against as we put these complex puzzles together? The reason I give that background is during the pandemic, not only were the young adults under financial distress, but everybody was, which means the, the family bank was under pressure as well which means that the flow of funds from parents to children might have also dwindled, adding to the, this living paycheck to paycheck situation. So we, we have an intergenerational problem here, Surya. Indeed. Jen, uh, did you see any difference in the study between males and females? We often think that earners are earners, but it doesn't really work that way, does it? No, we have seen lots of differences, um, in males, females, along, along racial lines. And one of the, the areas where this appeared really is looking at how um, millennials, where they turn to financial advice and how they receive financial advice. Um, in terms of financial advice, we saw that family, friends, and online resources topped the list. Interestingly enough, women turn to um, family more for financial advice, whereas Black African-Americans um, are less likely to do so. They also um, receive advice in a complete variety of ways. So any idea that millennials or Gen Z as a population are you know, that one size fits all is absolutely not the case and something we really need to keep in mind. We, you know, we found that in terms of how they receive advice, males are more likely than females to receive it in person. And while, while females typically like to receive advice primarily by email and not have that in-person live conversation, Black African-Americans actually like, were more likely to choose phone as their preferred way of receiving advice. While for females, phone was way down on the list, only slightly above receiving advice by Zoom. So this is something we really need to keep in mind as we look to try to reach these, um, these young adults and how to get them the information that they need. So yeah, there's been a lot in the financial media and the general media about women, uh, especially young women with children, having to leave the workforce. Did, did you see that in the study? Uh, there was, a, the, the, this survey did not explore the going in and out of uh, the workforce per se. Uh, but the thing that jumped out at me, Bill, was the importance that this segment of the population it gives employee benefits, which kind of surprised me because, you know, I, I'm going back to when I was in my 20s, 
and I was starting my career. And if it asked me, Surya, what do you think of employee benefits? I don't think I would have even understood the words employee benefits because I was busy making my way through my career. But 63% of the survey respondents here in this young adult population value employee benefits highly. I mean, that's an incredible transformation in mindset and in terms of what employers can do to provide support to young adults, married, single, going in and out of the workforce, et cetera. Wow. Well, we had the great resignation um, and maybe that's still going on. And now we have um, uh, a real competition for workers. We have a shortage of workers, it seems. How do you think that's going to apply uh, in terms of these benefits? Are, are employers, do you think, uh, going to increase benefits to attract more workers and to hold them? Bill, uh, you could not have touched upon a more important topic. I do think there's a war for talent going on. And let me paint a picture first and then talk about how benefits might apply. When we look at populations, from senior to junior, let us say, in the context of a company, the more junior the workforce, the more diverse it is. I don't think anyone would be surprised if I said that, but the data like remarkably shows that the more junior one is, the more diverse, you know, whether it's male, female, whether it is different ethnic groupings, et cetera, et cetera. So therefore, one needs to be thinking about from an employer perspective, how do I create financial life benefits that is not one size fits all, but really caters to the different groupings of employees. So let's just share a couple of examples just to bring this to life. If one is gonna become a new parent, maybe it is parental benefits, perhaps adoption, perhaps LGBTQ plus adoption of children could be one example one could think of at that life stage. Let us say somebody's in the caregiving life stage. How about care, recognizing that employees might be caregivers and maybe provide caregiving benefits support, such as caregiving consultation for parents, et cetera. So one can imagine uh, a, a progressive company, uh, a company that really is tuned into this, statistic of 60 plus percent of young adults wanting employee benefits and, and giving it importance, designing these life benefits by life stage. So that would be my uh, kind of thinking on this topic. Well, that, that, seems to, uh, that seems to be a good way to think about it. And of course, um, employers have got to be creative, try to provide those benefits uh, to the different employee segments that they're targeting. Jen, um, you know that um, in the MBA program at Georgetown, where you and I talk to so many students, we often hear these students say that they want purpose as well as a paycheck. Now here these students are, excuse me, these millennials and Gen Zers are worrying about uh, living from paycheck to paycheck. Do they have room to think about purpose? Yes, you know, clearly this is something that both Gen Z and millennials, you know, care very, very much about. We asked them questions about community involvement and opportunity for community involvement. And surprisingly, that rated lower and what they're looking for in an employer. And it may be that they are doing that um, themselves or they're looking for what their employer is doing rather than 
turn it over to their employee for community involvement. Did also ask about their impressions of their employer's commitment to diversity and inclusion. And consistent with the 2020 survey, they did give their employers high marks on supporting the diverse workforce, diversity and inclusion conversation and training, and developing policies and procedures in this area, although they dropped slightly from the prior year. On whether the employers supported diversity and inclusion in leadership positions, um, there was more of a drop in marks young adults gave their employers for diversity and inclusion in leadership positions, although those scores are still relatively high. We should remember in, that in 2020, when the survey was first taken, there, the, it was the time of social unrest and news about George Floyd and employers really stepped up. It, it may be that they've dropped just because it's not top of mind anymore or simply because employers have not carried through in the ways that, that employees thought they were, would. Now, Surya, you, you talked about how younger people uh, both, I, I think you said, expect and receive or see more diversity in the workforce. Um, and, and that is an expectation uh, in your mind, correct? Indeed, uh, what um, the young adult population wants to see in the workforce is how they live their lives what they're seeing in their college community, which you, the two of you will know better than even I do. Uh, I do lead the recruiting efforts uh, and the campus program efforts for my line of business. So I interact a fair bit with students across a variety of campuses. And uh, I can tell you anecdotally, diversity and inclusion is a pretty important uh, topic uh, that, that comes up pretty often. And uh, one of the observations that they make, and, and so our research is showing this, that you know, while they see their peers being diverse, the more senior ranks, they want to see more diversity there, which is understandable because we're all progressing towards more diversity. And as the young adult population becomes more and more senior, you can expect to see that diversity increase in the upper ranks as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, um, I, I think that um, uh, we're going to have a real challenge uh, getting the upper ranks uh, to, to be increasingly more diverse. But uh, the way I see it, more and more companies are hiring chief diversity officers, trying to figure it out. And hopefully they will figure it out if they want to keep these young people. Indeed. And, and also, uh, you know, it's a smart business decision, right? In other words, if you're serving communities of, uh, of, of diversity, you want to represent and connect with them on that diverse basis. So, so I think market forces will also help drive that increase in diversity too. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I know Bank of America is working on it and making progress. Jean, do you see other companies um, uh, really ramping up in terms of diversity, equity, and inclusion? You know, as you mentioned, Bill, in a, most companies, or, or certainly the large companies and the leaders, will have a diversity and inclusion officer and set programs to. I know when you know I was at Transamerica, there was lots of conversations about how to you know increase not only awareness but to foster inclusion to make sure that people of all shapes, sizes, colors, genders were at the table. And it is good business to get that perspective because certainly for all of us, for businesses, 
their customers cross all these lines. And so you can really only develop proper solutions and products with these customers in line if they're at the table actually making the decisions. Yeah, yeah, I think you're both saying the same thing. There's a really good business case for this. Mm -hmm. um, well, let's turn to the future. So we've got this research. We see that um, millennials and Gen Z employees uh, are, are struggling. Uh, so the question is, what can we do? What can Bank of America do? What can the Aging Well Hub do? What can we do to help get these young adults back on track? What we can do from Aging Well Hub and Bank of America is to have the research out there to increase awareness in the public, to be able to tap into these generational cohorts and really to see what they want, what they need, so that we can better advise companies and employers on what to do. So some of the things that we would say, especially for employers, um, to help young adults are financial wellness programs. Employers can implement workplace financial programs that meet workers where they are with tools and resources to help them budget, pay down debt, establish an emergency savings account, and create both a short and long-term financial plan. And um, we talked about retirement savings. Having a retirement savings plan makes it easier for these younger adults to automatically save for retirement so that they can focus on their short-term financial goals without sacrificing their long-term retirement savings. And then, you know, as we mentioned, delivering financial information and benefit information and a variety of ways to ensure that, that employees can best access and receive and digest the information in a manner that, that meets their preferences. Hmm. Surya? Yeah, Jean, those are great points. Um, so let me make a, a couple of connections. One connection would be, what does the research that we did together show us in terms of financial decision-making? And let me connect that dot to a potential approach and a solution as well. So what we learned from the study around financial decision-making was that the young adult population has clearly said, hey, we'd like to try things out you know, in, in small amounts so we get comfortable. We wanna be able to read about it, get some stories and anecdotes, but equally importantly, wanna be able to view easy to digest charts and graphs around these financial uh, opportunities. And then, once we get comfortable, we'd also like to talk it over. And then no surprise, digital plays a big role in that connectivity, uh, whether it's a, a kind of a Zoom conversation, email connections, text, mobile apps, et cetera, a lot of electronic mechanisms through which the young adults want to connect to be able to get that financial information and that financial advice. And, um, and a couple of opportunities that we have explored fairly rigorously uh, at Bank of America include one, a platform that we call Better Money Habits, which is kind of a public facing uh, um, uh, set of content that provides across the different life stages, the you know, financial aspects and financial literacy oriented content uh, for people to digest. That's one area. The other area, and Jean knows about this, uh, we have uh, created a digital experience that we call Life Plan, which is an app-based interaction with, uh, with our customers and our clients, 
where people can again say, hey, I'm in such and such a life stage, what information should I get? What prompt should I get? What action should I take? So that digital interaction, understanding how the young adult population wants to receive this information becomes pretty important. Yeah, that, that does sound important. You know, Siri, I was really struck by your point earlier about um, um, adults uh, really investing in their uh, young children, or let's call them their young adult children, um, and how that has a financial effect on their ability to save for retirement. So as you say, it's a, it's a journey. One of the things that I observed when I was at AARP was how closely connected the generations are. Older people really care about their children and their grandchildren, and, the, and it works in the other direction. You know, um, young adults really care about their parents and their grandparents. And um, as you both say, um, you know, financial security is a journey. And, and we've got to be able to, um, we've got to be able to connect with all generations if we're going to make this work, right? I totally agree. Well, um, it sounds to me like uh, we've got our work cut out for us. You know, the, um, the, these young people, they feel that they're not going to have the same financial security that their parents had. And uh, these strategies that you've discussed today, we've got to get them into place if, we, if we're going to make a difference. Any, any last thoughts? Jean, why don't you go first and I'll uh, follow you. No, other than, you know, I totally agree. And we need to get, you know, employers at the table to discuss it, young adults. We need to get them the tools that, that they can use to help them achieve that financial security and, and show them the path forward. And I think Bank of America, through all the digital tools that you just mentioned, is a really great example of ways to really help young adults. John, thank you very much. Uh, and one of the things that I would say is getting those better financial habits and better money habits in place very early would be important. And the three of us know, Bill, that if, if I did not start at 22 and started these money habits, better money habits at 32, I've given up 10 years. And it's going to be very hard to catch up. Thinking of power of compounding, you know, all the matching grants that companies give us, et cetera. So if we can somehow in a clear manner, in a persuasive manner, get the young adults when they start their careers to start ramping up their money habits that will stand them in good stead. Uh, I'm thinking about conversations with my own son, with my nephews and my nieces and, uh, and, and try to really simplify it. You know, just say, you know, these are the small steps you can take to build a habit. Yeah. So you've got research uh, within your own family. This is good. <laughs> Focus group. <laughs> yeah. So um, we've been talking to Surya Kaluri, who is uh, with Bank of America, and Jean de Servens with Georgetown University. Uh, this is really interesting and important uh, research. It really gives us some insights. And um, I hope we can continue to track these issues going forward. Uh, I want to thank um, everybody who listened in uh, to this podcast. And if you want to uh, see the complete survey, go to www.thepandemicperfectstorm.org. I'm going to repeat that, www.thepandemicperfectstorm.org. So thank you, Surya. Thank you, Jan. Um, everybody have a good day. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to The Business of Impact brought to you by the Business for Impact Center 
at Georgetown University's McDonough School of Business. We'd love to hear your feedback. So leave us a review, letting us know what you think. You can also share your ideas for a future episode topic with us at businessforimpact at georgetown.edu. Stay tuned for new episodes throughout the year. You can also subscribe to the Business of Impact on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and all of your favorite podcast listening apps, so you'll never miss out. Or listen via the website at businessforimpact.georgetown.edu. Thanks for tuning in.